0: Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy here with you for episode 201. Yes, indeed. We we, we recorded episode 200 uh, yesterday as our softball preview. Previewing UCF softball. This time around, we have Brian Murphy here to talk about things that are not softball.
1: You missed
2: you, Murph.
0: I know we did miss you, Brian.
2: I, I missed me too. (laughs)
0: <laughs> we've got uh, the, uh, we've got the artist formerly known as National Signing Day to talk about uh, here on the uh, Black and Gold Banner at Podcast we're also catching up on basketball uh, men's and women's, in fact the women right now are, as we record this on Wednesday night, are leading Tulsa by 14 in the fourth quarter uh, and uh, we got a couple other things we want to talk about we'll talk about some tennis and golf we got lots, uh, lots on the plate here um, alright, so as always, follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore banneret, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. You can follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez-Elo, Spokes underscore Murphy. No cheesy, cold open joke here, guys. Uh, so let's just dive right in. I've just, I, I've basically given up. I, I can't come up with anything. So, um, all right. Okay. Dead silence. I was waiting for somebody to be like, oh, okay, great. Maybe that was the joke. Um, the
2: joke, the joke is Jeff isn't creative enough to make the joke.
0: That's the joke. Uh, all right, let's talk about the what is now referred to as the late signing period. Uh, UCF adds officially. Uh, let's see, one, two, three, eight guys. Although two of them, I think we've have already actually been, like you know, not. It's not a secret, basically, but. Um, and we're not going to break this down too much Uh, we'll have some more recruiting stuff in the coming days But um, Murph you were there at at the uh, press conference as UCF wrapped the 2020 class Um, the big hit here was quarterback Parker Navarro 6 foot tall passer out of uh, Desert Vista High School in Phoenix, Arizona by the way a few local kids: uh, Garrett French, a tight end out of Venice; Max Holler, tight end out of, Winter, out of Trinity Prep in Winter Park; uh, Stephen Martin, a six-five wide receiver out of Bishop Moore; and uh, Riley Stevens, a six-two place kicker out of Dr. Phillips. Also, Marcus Tatum, who also is transferring over from Tennessee. He's a mainland grad uh, from Daytona Beach. But uh, Navarro is the big story here. What's the big takeaway from this? from this, you know, cherry on top and icing on top of the recruiting class?
2: Well, I mean, it gives UCF, I think, you know, certainly at that point when they, when they, when, you know, they were looking at Parker Navarro and, and really they started looking heavily uh, into him back in December. You you have to go back to where UCF's quarterback room was through, you know, late December into January. They, they did not have, because Quadra Jones had left the program, had transferred out, uh, to Alabama State, and obviously we still don't know what's up with McKenzie Milton. So at that time, you basically only had, you know, Dylan Gabriel and Daryl Mack as your quarterbacks. And so they they needed another quarterback. They knew they needed one. And they get one in Parker Navarro, a Phoenix kid who turns down Arizona State to come to UCF. Um, you know, an undersized kid, at, you know, I think only six foot. Uh, but very athletic, you know, uh, can can run really, you know, is, is very uh, out-of-the-pocket quarterback, uh, really talented in that aspect. Uh, strong arm, though, as well. Um, but now, with, with you know, Quadra Jones' is back, which we found out today he's officially back on the roster, and Navarro, you're like, well, UCF has maybe a little bit more depth than they imagined. Um, but, you know, Navarro's the big takeaway out of today. Obviously, they got the second guy who—the second, I would say, you know, scholarship— uh, recruit uh, that 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 signed signed today uh, was the tight end uh, Zach Zach Marsh uh big uh, you know burly six foot five guy, and you watch his tape, uh, you can you can tell just how much bigger he is than any most kids on the field, uh, <laughs> and because he used to be a wide receiver growing up, he does have some of those movement skills uh, that still exist inside of his big frame. So you could see him being a matchup, uh, a matchup guy in the slot or out wide, uh, and that's what they hope to, you know, that's what they hope to, that he brings. However, again, at the tight end position, considering that UCF does have you know, Jake, Hess, Jake Hescock back, uh, they have, they signed two freshmen uh, in the early signing period, and now also with Wohan, they're pretty. Deep, it looks like they're pretty deep there for the future as well.
0: I do encourage everybody to take a look at the video that UCF posted on the Zach Marsh Wohan guy. This guy's, this guy's a tight end, 6'5", five tight end. He's lining up on the outside, and just it's it's not fair. It's not fair to the rest of those kids out in California. It's, it's really it's really it's, funny to watch. Actually, it's co- it's, it's eye comedy.
2: <laughs> it's not a put down, but the way his body compares to the other kids on the field, he looks like an offensive lineman who's running a route. But it's just because he
0: looks so much bigger than them. I know. Uh, it's, it's pretty crazy. So, so I the um, you got to talk to Josh Heupel uh, at the press conference uh, today, and there were a couple of things. Well, first, let's um, we got a few bites here that we can play for everybody. But I, I want most of them are basically updates on guys who are already well. They're all updates on guys who are currently already on the ice. So let's start with. Let's start with the Quadri Jones situation. He, uh, basically, Heupel announced that he is back um, officially now. Um, you know, checked out Alabama State. Turns out he didn't like it as much. Decided to come back. Let's go ahead and play the bite right now. Here's uh, Josh Heupel talking about uh, Quadri Jones.
3: So, whenever you start a young quarterback, uh, I think it's, it's tough with guys inside of the room to this position where typically one guy plays and... and uh, you know, I think in the last half of the season, you know, he kind of wondered, you know, what's my future and, and how do I fit and where do I belong and, and uh, you know, went out and, you know, looked around other places at the end of the day, I think he feels really strongly about uh, the players that are inside the locker room within the coaching staff that's going to invest in, in him on, on the field in the meeting room, but ultimately, you know, for the rest of his life too, and a group of men, that are going to be mentors to him, uh, the opportunity to, to get a great education. I think you combine all of those things. Um, we felt like this was home. This is the best place for him, and, and uh, um, you know our, our players respect him and what he is and how he's handled himself since he's been here. And uh, we did as a coach
0: assess. <coughs> so Murph, the quarterback room is slightly more crowded, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's totally packed here. Um, does uh, uh, what was your sense about the about what happened with Quadri deciding to come back? He's just Buyer's remorse, I guess.
2: I think it's a kid who realized that you know, although his path to playing time really is blocked here, and and you could tell, Hyple mentioned that you know, at the end of last season, he didn't know what his future looked like on this team, um, and so he wanted to go. He wanted to go to a place where he could play, but I think he also realized that being in a place where he felt comfortable, where he felt at ease, uh, was maybe more important to him, and so. You know, I think after spending some weeks at Alabama State, and, you know, again, we won't really we really won't really know for sure until we talk to Quadri, hopefully maybe in the spring, uh, during spring ball. But we, it, it seems like Quadri realized pretty shortly after he committed to Alabama State that uh, that he really wanted to be at home, no matter what it meant for his playing career. He felt best off staying in Orlando,
0: and that's why he's back. Well, that's good. I'm, I mean, I'm glad he's, you know, I mean, if, if he feels... You know, like, this is the this is the right place for him. I'm glad he's still here, you know. Uh, on the other hand, got an update about uh, Brandon Moore. What was the latest on that?
2: Well, here's a, yeah, I had to ask Josh Heupel about Brandon Moore because we really haven't talked about Bam much at all this season, obviously, as he's been rehabbing uh, his ACL injury from the first game of the year. And so I just wanted a quick update, and, and Heupel gave us one, and I will say it's a pretty positive update on Brandon Moore. He's doing really well. Uh,
3: he... Uh... Starting to move around with his lower body right now and and, uh, feel like uh, he's on track. Uh, He's still got hurdles to climb and and a bunch of rehab, but uh, he's going to be more and more functional as we get to the back half of spring ball. Won't be in spring ball, but functional in his movement, starting to train um, at his position and and, uh, should have him ready to get closer to the uh, end of summer.
2: There's Josh Heupel talking about cornerback Brandon Moore. We'll not see him in the spring, but you heard there at the end of the clip they would like to get him going and think he'll be ready to go near the end of summer, so I guess check back in uh, sometime in late July or August to see where Bam Moore is, but it sounds like uh, he's, he's he's on the
0: right track, at least. What was the actual, I can't remember, what was the actual injury he was diagnosed with, uh, or did they reveal he that? Tore his, he tore his ACL, and I believe also
2: dislocated his kneecap. I believe that was the only damage sustained in his injury. Okay,
0: but I mean, it sounded to me like you said, like he was pretty optimistic about it have no reason to doubt him on that and then finally speaking of optimism uh Mackenzie Milton what was the latest update on him
2: well obviously anytime we could talk to Hypel after a couple months we're gonna ask about Milton and certainly Mackenzie gave us an update recently about moving out of his you know big bulky brace into the more uh sports specific you know uh flexible brace so we just asked Hypel today about what he thinks about that new development with Mackenzie and really how he you know judges you know, where he's at in his, in his in his recovery
3: uh the first thing you take is just as a human being i'm so excited for him and, and uh just seeing him you get the news uh you're able to talk to him over the phone he comes back from from the visit the next day you see him in the training room he's doing squat jumps like those hurdles uh, those are are phenomenal you know a couple of days ago he's changing out his brace from one that's a little bit restrictive to one that gives him full functional movement to do everything that he would want to do and uh, those are great moments in, in the, the mountains that he's had to climb from from where this whole thing started and, and uh, <clears throat> I don't think any of us can appreciate how far he actually has come and, and uh, you know the mental toughness it takes the physical toughness too but the mental toughness to just get up and fight every day and he's still got a long ways to go he knows that but uh, he's got great joy it's kind of like pushing the uh, snowball uphill right and get to the top of it and all of a sudden uh, you push it downhill and it's starting to pick up speed. He's he's really excited uh, about where he's at and where he's got an opportunity to go.
0: All right, so that was Josh Heupel talking about um, Mackenzie Miller. I still, you know, obviously we still have, I mean, who knows? We we don't know. Nobody get your hopes up in terms of the doctors clearing him to actually play football after that. Um... Any any news is good news as far as we're cons- as far as I'm concerned. I think with him, um, yeah. but you know, hey, as long as it keeps trending in the right direction, that's good. It reminded me a lot of you know the, the I don't know if you guys remember the the news that came out before the Super Bowl regarding Alex Smith who um, suffered also a compound fracture of his leg and then that in turn got infected and you know, according to him, you know, almost lost his leg. Uh, he said, The quote I believe I thought I saw was that he said he was lucky to be alive due to the complications that were taking place there. And that just goes to show you, like, some of the, you know, how truly dangerous that injury was. And, you know, it's a miracle he's managed to keep his leg. It'll be a miracle if he's, you know, obviously he can walk. It's a miracle he can walk again. Playing football is another thing entirely, though, right?
2: Absolutely. And I think we all need to keep that in mind. I know people want to, you know, keep their hopes up that he does play this season, but I still think that it is a long shot. Just when you take into terms everything that he's trying to come back from and the precedent of of players who try to do the same thing, it it rarely if ever happens. So maybe he's the guy who can do it. That'd be great. Um, and also, like you said, Jeff, how lucky Mackenzie is. And we've mentioned this before, certainly in the aftermath of the injury. And I, I think it's something that we should never forget: the fact that they were playing that game on Black Friday, 2018. They they're playing that game in Tampa, down the street from really down the street from from Tampa General, a, tra- a level one trauma center. Right. And they weren't they weren't playing that game in like say Greenville, North Carolina, against D.C.U. That difference saves his leg,
0: undoubtedly. Yeah. So. Turns out.
1: I agree. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, let me, let me ask you this, Murph, now, because I remember in December people were worried. about It's funny how a couple months changes things. Two months ago we are worried about the quarterback depth and the position and everything like that, and here we are a couple months later, and it seems to have resolved itself. How do you see now the quarterback uh, roster here, the depth chart, if you will, or the room, as Jeff likes to say, going into spring ball and beyond here with the new additions and the return of Quadri.
2: Well, it's certainly – it's well, it's it's kind of back to where it was pre-Brandon Wimbush, right? Like, we're, we're now back to where we were with McKenzie healing up uh, and, and with Mac and Gabriel and, and Quadri. Of course, at this point last year, we didn't know how good Dylan Gabriel was. My thing is with, with Parker Navarro, and I know we want to get excited for, for him because he's a quarterback, so obviously we gravitate to those kind of guys – my thing is, if you just look at the room, right? Like, obviously, Dylan is only a sophomore, only a true sophomore, and has been outstanding, unquestionably one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. Darryl Mack behind him, I believe, is still only a redshirt junior heading into 2020. Yeah. And then you have Quadri Jones, who I believe is a redshirt sophomore. So I would like to throw out a question uh, What are the odds we see Parker Navarro play in a game of any meaning, uh, play any down in a game that has any significant meaning? Before twenty twenty two, because I would say they're low.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I, I I think I speak for. um, Well, it's Daryl. By the way, is going to be a redshirt junior this year. You're right about that. The, I think a lot of people were kind of possibly thinking that you know that he might transfer, and given given the situation with you know Dylan Gabriel's emergence, um, obviously we haven't heard any, you know. The we have he's he has not entered into the transfer transfer portal at all. So I wonder, you know, if this year that the, the goal is going to be it's going it, it's going to be a race between Daryl Mack and uh, and and Dylan Gabriel to see you know who who's going to be the starter. No, no, no,
1: Gabriel, so, say Gabriel, starts.
0: Well, he start. Well, he start. No. No, he start. Yeah, Jeffrey, what are you doing? Oh, Jeff, what are you doing? Stop it. Jeff. Well, well, okay. Well, put yourself in Daryl Max's. Okay, you're not. You're. It's February. You're gonna. You're gonna just accept that now. I mean, I don't think so. I think he's heading into. I think that he would head into the 2020 spring and summer thinking, I'm gonna try and take this job. You know, he lost it because of the injury last year. Um, you know, and obviously Wimbush is not here anymore. I mean, you'd want that kind of competitiveness from a guy like that, right?
2: No, okay, no, you'd want him to practice like that, but Josh Heupel isn't going to formally open this up to a quarterback competition. There's, there's that's not happening. And he if, said that? Not, no, I'm saying that's not going to happen. I'm yeah. saying that. You you really think they're gonna make they're gonna give us they're gonna put us through another quarterback competition in in fall like another?
1: Yeah, there's or, no reason. I mean, there was nothing that happened last season would suggest that. Like, I mean. No, now, do I think Mac could get some snaps during the season? I think that's the question you might want to. I think the better question okay. to ask, but I don't think he. Yeah, I think this is Dylan Gabriel's team now. starting I mean, I, I
2: really, Mac is in Mac is in a contest with to be to be the, the lead backup, and 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 even if he doesn't get that, Mac because of his size and athleticism, he is very he's, he's still valuable. With those direct snaps and just QB sneak stuff and QB draw stuff that he can run.
0: And we saw a lot more of that later in the year, too. I wish we saw more of it earlier, but yeah. You'll
2: you'll still see that. You'll still see that. My whole thing with Navarro is this is great, and I'm happy for him, and I hope he enjoys it. I just have no expectation that he will play anything of significance before... 2022 at all Well,
1: especially well especially in, in today's landscape in college football you almost have to go year by year now right with the the transfer rules and things like that things change rapidly and you know the other thing i think for mac is he knows this from ex- obviously from experience unfortunately you know he's one play away from being the starting quarterback i think right. that's the the deal there is Hey, I mean, he's been in these shoes where McKenzie got hurt and he had to come in and start, and you know that could happen to Dylan Gabriel. You never know what could happen. I mean, that's the thing; you just don't know what could happen between now and then, the spring ball, and then the you know, fall, and then the season starts. So, um, look, I mean, as long as you've got enough quarterbacks on your roster from a, that standpoint, I think you're fine, and I think that's the big success. You know, who knows about this class, who's going to be good and who's not. But I think if you're Josh Hypo and UCF, you feel, I think, a lot better, don't you, Murph? And you're sleeping better with your quarterback depth chart than you probably did, say, maybe through three months ago.
2: Oh, absolutely. Well, even, you know, six weeks ago, I mean, there's yeah. no there's no question. I mean, yes, you know, obviously the the, the sort of Damocles that hangs over everything in football is if if he stays healthy. And we all know that 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 is not assured for anyone. But I'm just saying, is if if Dylan Gabriel stays healthy and does not transfer, you know, nothing that we can really predict. If none of those things happen, I mean, he is the starter for this team for at least the next two years and possibly the next three seasons. Uh, in which case, you know, I hope Parker and Quadru really enjoy Orlando. <laughs>
0: well, um, well, they
1: might. By the way, I mean, you joke. I mean. No, I don't, but, be, but I hope they I do. Mean, it, it mean, I mean, and remember, I mean, Mac, to my knowledge, is a father, too. So is. There's, you got to think about more than football some, sometimes when it comes to your decisions. And so I would argue that getting your degree and, and you know, working at UCF is just as important right now. And being prepared for life after football and beyond, you know, take care of yeah. your family also has to play a role in this. I mean, it's it's a lot. good not, point. I, so I think there's a lot of variations here. And I think for Quadri, it's probably the same thing. I mean, we forget sometimes these are 18- to 22-year-olds. And by the way, I mean, has someone, have we all been on the UCF campus? It's not a bad place to be as far as, you know, getting your education and getting your degree. I still think that does matter to some of these players, and we have to remember that. And I think that I applaud that. I will never question anybody for staying because of that.
2: Right, I'm not not questioning it. I'm not, and I'm not making light of. No, 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 not at all. I and I, 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 you know, like I said, like Quadri came back, not because of the the possibility of playing here, but because he feels I think best off in Orlando than yeah. than anywhere else. So that that makes sense for him. I'm saying because it because what we do is we have to look at these we have to look at these human beings as athletes. That's really mostly what we get paid to do. So we're only doing it from that lens at at, at most points. Viewing it through that lens, and I'm not dumb enough to think they're only football players. I'm not. I'm not a meathead. Says like, well, they have. They're not human beings. <laughs> they play quarterback. Like, of course not. I understand that. But since we have to look at it through that lens for the sake of this podcast and for our jobs, I'm saying is, wow. it, it, I, I am. I, I am looking at Navarro, who is. Who is. You know, sure. I, I, he has got his day in the sun. It's fantastic. I, I just would like. I. I really hope, he enjoys the experience of the next two years. Because the reality is, if everything goes according to plan, he won't play
0: much. Right.
1: Well, right. the irony of all that is that used to be how it worked in college football is you wait your turn uh, and deals like that. So that, you know, that there's not, you know, I'm sure he, I mean, I think we all agree. He'll, I mean, the plan would probably be to redshirt him this year. And
0: absolutely.
2: Then, uh, yeah.
1: From there. And, you know, I think I, I, I agree. I mean, I think Dylan Gabros of now is the guy moving forward, but things change. You never know what happens. Uh, Moving forward, and uh, so we'll see. But uh, hey, look, like I said, it's better to have all these this problems than saying, uh, "Who's our backup again?"
0: Right, (laughs) it's true. Um, All right, so that we'll have some uh, national signing day stuff. Wrap it up. I'm going to look back at the class from five years ago. Add that to our database in there. Be sure to look at that. Murphy, you got an article up there as well, kind of wrapping things. And uh, I guess we probably won't hear anything. From here on until uh, until the beginning of spring football, so... Um,
2: sounds like that'll happen at the end. It'll start at the end of the month. Right. Which is early, earlier than usual, but sounds like they'll start doing formal spring, spring ball practice uh, sometime this month.
0: All right, so we'll be keeping an eye on that. By the way, a little breaking news before we go to break. Taco Fall played one minute tonight for the Boston Celtics in their victory over the Orlando Magic and collected one rebound. Any,
2: uh, any report on the decibel meter of his uh, when he got into the game no um, no
0: reports on the uh, no reports on the sound but he, he can't, well I think it was a little bit muted since he was coming in for uh, Jason Tatum who looked to have uh, who, who looked to have injured himself on the final minute so um, maybe the maybe the reception was a little muted but uh, anyway um, Taco got some action tonight which is good 116-100 the final Boston over the Magic alright <clears throat>
1: Why couldn't they blow them out when I was there a few weeks ago?
0: I know. I know. I know. I know. They
1: so. tried, but the
2: magic kept coming back.
0: And uh we also have some uh, actually some more breaking news for you. Uh final score from Tulsa. UCF Women's Basketball gets the victory over the Golden Hurricane 62 to 49. However, oh, for about, those
1: that are listening uh, to this episode, uh, I'm sure Jeff at some point will realize that uh, you all knew this result already. He didn't have to update you.
0: On I know. I just, w- I just wanted, I just like doing that because it, it, makes me feel better. Um, <laughs> okay. it, it, for those who are, listening, I'm a TV it's guy good. at heart. So <laughs> uh, we'll talk about the UCF women's basketball team and uh, and their counterparts on the men's side uh, when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. Let's talk a little hoops. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday night. Uh, just in, you probably know this already, as Eric alluded to in our previous segment, but UCF women's basketball got the win over Tulane tonight. 62-49. to uh, UCF got uh, 20 points on 9-21 from K.K. Wright uh, to lead uh, all scorers. Um, in addition to uh, three assists, Brittany Smith added another 12 points on five of seven. She just continues to just I swear that's her own line every night five of seven, 12 points. Um, Siani Martin nine rebounds tonight for uh, UCF in the victory. so so the Knights go to uh, five and four in conference, bumps them up to a tie with Temple. they're 13 and eight. Excuse me. They are now 13 and eight, and because the the American just updated their standings almost instantaneously, they are now 12. uh, They are now uh, 12 and eight, four and four in conference. Excuse me, tied with Houston for seventh. I feel like they they just. First of all, this is a big road win. Only their second road win of the year. uh, Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy. Um, They're 10 and one at home. Tulsa is not good. Okay, they're one and eight in the conference, six and sixteen overall. But you got to put that one away when you can. So they did. And uh, I mean, I don't know how much we really learn from this from this win, but they got another big one coming up uh, at Houston in a week. So uh, any worthwhile takeaways from that, Eric?
1: No, they had to do what they had to do. Basically, Uh, it's good to see them defend well again. I mean, that's something they haven't been consistent with. Uh, when they've lost games in, on the road in particular, so I yeah. think that's a positive. And uh, when the road it was good to get Caba back playing de- uh, in that game against Tulsa after missing the SMU game. Yep. Um, and and for to me, look, I said this. I, I was well, I was calling the SMU game. This is an important three game stretch here for this team. They must, in my opinion, win. You know, they're two thirds of the way there. They got to win that Houston game a week from the, the on Wednesday coming up here because after that Houston game. They host Cincinnati on February fifteenth. They host South Florida on Wednesday, February nineteenth, and then at UConn. So they need you know, they're two for two so far in this little stretch. They got to win at Houston. I know Houston's played well at home uh, this year, but they you know they need to win here and then you know take your you know chances against Cincinnati and South Florida, and honestly win two of those three because you're probably not going to win at UConn this. Uh, so you really those to me, they got to go on a run here to get themselves back in the conversation for the NCAA tournament. Uh, they, in my opinion, probably have to win out, except for the UConn game. Like, I mean, if they're probably going to lose the UConn game, so, but other than that, they may have to win out uh, and at least try to get up to that two or three seed going into the conference tournament so you're in the opposite bracket of UConn. So, yeah. I think these are positive steps, and to do that, they got to play well <laughs> defensively consistently, and I think at least we have seen here for two straight games. Now they've played well defensively uh, and have been locked in. So it's a good win. They got some help because Memphis beat Temple. uh, Or excuse me, not Memphis Temple. I'm sorry. uh, Memphis uh, beat Tulane uh, in the women's hoops, I believe, on Tuesday. So that dropped Tulane down a little bit in the standings. So I think it's still wide open after UConn, don't you think, Jeff?
0: Yeah. Well, here's the thing that's going to be key. Six of their last seven, like you mentioned – are against teams that they are either tied with or behind in the standings, yeah. and that includes UConn. The only one that's not is Memphis in their second to last, uh, in their second to last game. That game's at, so. So here's here's the deal: the road games in that stretch are at Houston, who they're tied with, at UConn, which you almost have to just throw out, and then at Memphis. So that Memphis is behind them. So all those key games against teams that are ahead of them, and 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 I would say. I guess we could call them gettable, right, are at home. Cincinnati on February 15th, that's Saturday. Uh, South Florida on Wednesday, uh, February 19th. Temple on Wednesday, February 26th. And then Wichita State on senior night on March 2nd. So, hey, look, man, now or never, right? I mean, it, you, you had your tough part of the conference schedule with all those teams on the road in the first half. Now you got to put it together and defend that home court. Like I said, 10-1 at home. This is going to be a big stretch here as we as, yeah. as we go through February. This is a big month for them. Big month.
1: Big month. Uh, big month for them, and we'll know what their outlook will be postseason-wise after that stretch. By the way, a shout-out to K.K. Wright, who became the second UCF player. This happened in the SMU game. Second women's basketball player in program history to uh, hit the 1,400 points, 400-plus assists and 200-plus steals in a career. 1,400-plus points, 400-plus assists, 200-plus steals. Sharia Davis, who played here about 20-some years ago, was the other player that's mm-hmm. done that.
0: Hall of Famer. A heck
1: of a, yeah, oh, thank you. Yes, Hall of Famer. And I think, obviously, uh, KK's on right of being a future Hall of Famer there. Uh, that's pretty darn good. She became the seventh player in program history to hit the 1,400-point mark uh, against SMU. I know she's close to passing Aaliyah Gregory for sixth all-time in scoring. I don't have the numbers in front of me, obviously, with the Tulsa game being completed. But just a quick shout-out, and I know we'll get plenty of time to talk about it as we get closer to the season ending, but pretty heck of a career for K.K. Wright, and I think that's pretty jaw-dropping numbers when you think about it.
0: Well, she's obviously with 1,400 points down. She's on her way to 1,500. Um, and I think, what do we have? What, five player, four or five players who at the 1,500-point mark in, in school history? So... I mean, that's some pretty rarefied air right there, and it's only going to continue. And I would imagine that she's the one, she's going to have the ball in her hands a lot in this final stretch. So um, what will she be able to do with it? We'll just have to wait and see. All right. Uh, Men's basketball. They, where's that schedule? There it is. They are uh, awaiting, their. they're in Greenville. They actually play uh, the Pirates of ECU. Uh, on Thursday uh, if you're, you're probably listening to this on Thursday so it'll more than likely be tonight 7pm at Mingus Coliseum uh, to kick off the second half of the uh, conference schedule now I wrote something on Monday on the site and uh, I appreciate your compliment Murph although as backhanded as it was uh, you're welcome <laughs> Uh, and my basically the, the the headline you can check it out now. Everyone, calm the hell down about UCF men's basketball because after the loss,
1: wait You're telling people to calm.
0: Yes, I am them. telling everyone to calm the hell down. Okay. Um, because I'm a contrarian and that's what I do. But uh, all right. So they lost in Tampa, South Florida, in 64-48 in a game that that UCF was just not in from the very beginning. Okay. Uh, South Florida had a had a long run in the first half. That was pretty much that. And then they just stiff-armed UCF the rest of the way. Um, they're 11-10, but tied for last in the conference at 2-7. And, and Brian, you were there. Johnny Dawkins said it was probably the low point of the season. Here's, here's what I see. I have basically three things that I was like, okay, we knew this would happen. And then three things It's like, here's what we have to look forward to. The three things that we knew that would happen were, first of all, UCF was supposed to not be very good. They're picked ninth in the preseason in the conference. So far, they've lived up to that. Uh, they lost 80% of their scoring from last year. And, uh, and the three-point shooting has not been good. It's been below expected. Uh, the one stat I thought was pretty interesting was um, oh, you have only two nights shooting better than 35% from the arc who've taken at least 35 shots from there. Darren Green and Cesar Jesus. Matt Milan is shooting 30.8% from three-point range. And that's 10 percentage points below his career worst to this point okay by comparison last year you had two ucf players over 40 percent and four above 35 percent all right so the three point when you're struggling the three-point shooting can get you back in the games they just they just haven't been able to do it it just hasn't happened but the three things i think they can look forward to are first of all the reverse happens in terms of the scoring load 80 percent of the scoring load should return for um next season they pre- stayed pretty healthy Okay? nine Of the top nine players in the rotation, eight of them have played in all 21 games. And that does not include, obviously, Dre Fuller, who's finally back. And we'll probably see more of Ibrahim Famuke Dumbia and Tony Johnson Jr. in the coming weeks as well. They have not played all the games, but we saw a little bit more of them in the last few games. And this is the other thing I think it's interesting, Murph. The schedule in the last nine games, play 18 conference games or halfway through, the schedule in the last nine is a little bit, bit more favorable. The, the average net ranking of their first nine games was 84.2. The average net ranking for their for their final nine opponents is 109.8. So that includes two games against ECU, who they play next, who's really bad. Their net is 227. And one more against Tulane, who's 173. And UCF beat them in New Orleans earlier this year. They've also got some games at home against Wichita and Southern Methodist. Uh, Five of the last nine are at home compared to the four of the the first nine that were at home. So a little bit of a glimmer of hope if they can pull some things together here uh, in the final stretch. However, Murph, you have a really horrendous – this is going to be Murph's absolutely horrendous stat of the night. Uh, (laughs) Go ahead and hit hit us with that here, Brian.
2: It's it's not a UCF-centric stat. It's actually more of an AAC-centric stat. So we'll save it until the end of the segment.
0: Okay. Okay. But but uh, but anyway, I think you know, kicking off this 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 last nine game stretch here, if they could just, what do they have to do to just get this thing going so they can finish on a good note?
2: Make sure shots.
0: All right. Cool. All right. Moving on. There
2: you go. <laughs> <All right. laughs> like, wow. I mean, it's not like it's not that hard. Like, it, it, like it's. It's so, it's so amazing how good a basketball team looks when the ball goes through the hoop. Because, like, their defense has been there. Their defense has been good for most of the season in most games. Now, again, against USF, all of it was bad. Every single one of it was bad. Uh, but most notably, again, the three-point shooting and the number of, of just open threes that this team has missed uh, in, just in the last two games against Wichita, against Memphis, against USF. It's, it's, I don't know the exact number, but it's alarming how – I know this team has been really struggling from beyond the arc. I get it. But even when they're getting clean open looks, they're, they're, they're just off. Um, and so it's really discouraging to see that happen over and over again. So what else do you need other than that? Well, you still need Colin Smith to stay on the floor, which has still been a problem for him to consistently remain on the floor uh, and not get into foul trouble. And, and, and then I think it's just ball spacing and ball movement which at times has been really bad, like, just very stagnant. They don't run they don't run good sets offensively. But a lot of it's due to the fact that they really don't know, like, when everyone's struggling, who do you really try to work to get a guy open, especially when Collins not on the floor because he's got two fouls at the 10-minute mark of the first half. Yeah. So it's really difficult. Again, this is all offensively based because, again, the defense has been, I, I think, at least, you know, acceptable, if not better than that, at least acceptable.
0: I just feel but, like they're well below the mean on shooting. It's like, is this mean going to regress at some point? <laughs> you know,
2: they, certainly guys like 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 Darren Green, uh, you know, a, a, you know, should be better. Brandon Brandon Mahan, uh, you know, is it is should be a good three point shooter. I, I don't know what's happened with Matt Milan. I, I I you know, at this point, you remember he had that few game stretch where he was hitting, and then he's just, he's just back into a slump now. And I don't. Part of me wonders with the way this entire season has gone, if he's just not nursing an injury that we don't know about. And that's totally me speculating. So, you know, sports, sports journalism at its finest. Uh,
0: that's what we're here really, for. I mean, but
2: really, I mean, this is so not what they expected offensively out of Matt Milan, for him to be this bad for a, really the entire season outside of three games a few weeks ago. I, I I had to think something else was going on with him. And then secondly, uh, well, not secondly, but, like, you know, fifthly, uh, they don't have, you know, otherwise, when, when, when he's not hitting and when Darren Green's not hitting, this team doesn't really have a ton of great three-point shooters. They have decent shooters, but, like, Dazon Ingram really shouldn't be taking shots from three. Cesar DeJesus knows that he shouldn't – he is not an, outside, he's not an outside jumper guy. Colin Smith will still hoist a three here and there, but that's really not his strength even though he wants it to be one. Um, so really, they just need to get better on the outside next year. I think if the defense stays – I, I don't think the defense will go anywhere. I think the defense will still be good next year. It's just about can you add, you know, five, six, seven more points per game with the guys you're bringing in and the guys you have returning and hopefully experience pays off there. We knew this would be a tough year, and, and it certainly it has been everything in that and and more, really. Yeah.
1: Well, well, yeah, well, That's 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 a tough. There, they better make some shots in Greenville, uh, Murph, because you know they're going to play East Carolina on the road, and it's kind of a contrast. You know, we talked about UCF doesn't really have that guy to go to to score. East Carolina has that and Jaden Gardner. Jaden Gardner averaging twenty points, ten boards a game. To put it in perspective, he's basically a third of the offense i mean he averages 20 points a game the second leading scorer is brandon suggs who has like a nine points a game that's a big drop off and he gets basically a third of the rebounds so he's a one-man show uh for him and the thing that worries me about this game here murph gardner's coming off an off game he only scored 11 in his last game against temple uh so he he usually doesn't have two bad games in a row and my question to you, Murph, is how you know this is going to be interesting. The approach here: do you try to double Gardner? Do you try to you know you know, or do you just let him score his and take everybody out of the out of the equation? It's going to be interesting what the you know the the philosophy is on this matchup. But uh, that's to me one of the keys that I'm looking forward to seeing in this game.
2: You really can't let him beat you. I know that you go well. We can just we can like let him get his 20 and then and then cover everyone else. No, I think in this sense he's the one guy you you really have to clamp down, and then if the other guys go off, then you tip their ca- you tip your cap, and so be it. Kind of like the Lance Thomas from from Memphis last yeah. week. Lance Thomas came into that game averaging two points and one rebound, and then goes for twenty. You know, had hit one three. <laughs> yeah, we'll you know let that?
0: we'll let Lance Thomas beat us. Well, guess what?
2: <laughs> yeah, right, exactly, and that's what happened. I, I you know, Jane Gardner. One thing I, I think that worries me about that matchup is he is tremendous at getting to the line and drawing contact. He has he, he draws about seven fouls per game on average. He takes a ton of free throws per game. And I can just see this being a game where if he drives inside, he could be living at the line, getting Colin Smith back in foul trouble, and then UCF is really in deep trouble if 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 he really is controlling the game, which I could see this
1: happening. Right. Well, and then because of that, do you see maybe a tweak in the lineup? Uh not only you know, not only, not necessarily just because of the struggles in the offense, but maybe the because of that, maybe you try to a, a different lineup to avoid having Colin Smith match up with Gardner there and try to keep him away from foul trouble. Because you're right, Gardner has got 183 free throws in 22. That's like eight a game. I yeah. mean, this guy is just. I mean, I'm, I'm going to use a baseball analogy just because you're, I know you're excited about baseball season being around the corner. It's a bit of a stretch, but I think he's this good. It kind of reminds me of Mike Trout in the Angels the last couple of years, right? You don't you avoid Mike Trout beating you, take your chances with the rest of the li- the roster lineup that's not as good, uh, and they have flaws, so that's why they're not a very good team. But uh, but he's capable of beating you by himself, so I'm curious to see if they t- tweak some of the lineups there uh, to guard him.
2: Well, two things. One, I appreciate the baseball reference for my effort or for my for my <laughs> enjoyment. I appreciate it. However, you should know the Angels lineup is very good, and 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 I know, know it's
1: really the pitching's the problem. But you know, yes, it's the closest yes. thing
2: I can anyway, think of. Anyway, I, I understand what you're trying to get at there. Uh, I don't I don't know. They've been through eight lineups this season. UCF has. What will it mean? If they if they change line. I'm just interested to see how they go about guarding Gardner. Uh, whether you know, obviously they'll play zone. Again, their their zone defense has been their better defense, uh, and they and they just can't afford to have Colin uh, or, or Dazon even I think go one on one against him. Uh, I, I think they'll play zone and, and then whatever uh, whatever may be will um, you know will be caseiro uh, <laughs> uh, But I I, I will you know, I also want to say that if you look at you at, at AAC basketball as a whole. Like we watched, I watched Memphis and Temple tonight. And if you watch this conference as a whole, and you and you, you kind of find yourself saying, this is kind of ugly. <laughs> uh, this is actually, you know, we talk about how a bad UCF has been on offense this year. Did you know that this conference, the American, is the absolute worst among all D1 conferences in two point, uh, two point shot percentage? There are 30, There are 32 D1 conferences the AAC is 32nd.
0: Where is this? 2. Where do you find that number? Holy smokes.
2: 46.9%. Three point shooting percentage? They're much better. They're 29th at 31.1. By the way, ECU and UCF, the two worst three point shooting teams in this conference. Awesome. Uh, it, it, it could be just another brick house kind of game where he just, you know. What's they, the over
1: under? What's the over under? No, Can't but. Worry.
0: I got it. All right. Hang on. Oh, wouldn't, su- wouldn't surprise me if it wouldn't surprise me if it's off the board. But anyway, go ahead, Murph.
1: <laughs> no,
2: I mean, it, I would say it's probably like one thir- like one twenty something, like one twenty something.
1: All right, let me, see. Let, me though, Murph, let me ask you about that stat. That's a pretty impressive stat. I'm not gonna lie, that's pretty. Is really how, how much of that is bad offense? How much of that is good defense? Because you have said in previous podcasts when we talked about some of these teams about how good they are defensively. I mean, Memphis, who we saw about a week ago. Is third in the country in field goal percentage defense. So, how much of that is the fact there's some good defense? Kelvin Sampson's a defensive minded guy at Houston, for example. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, and things like that. And then you got a team like Tulsa, who we're going to talk about in a minute, coming to town here. They've played very good defense, only allowing 63 points uh, this season. Uh, and they've been very good uh, defensively there, and, and only given up 38% from the field themselves uh, defensively, Tulsa has. We'll talk about them, but how much of that is good defense uh, that's contributing to a lot of that?
2: No, it's absolutely, I mean, there's definitely, I, I, it's not all bad offense. Like, there's a reason why you know nine teams in this conference, there are nine teams in this conference, UCF included, that rank among the top 75 in adjusted defense. I mean, it's because there's really good defenses on the, in this conference, and uh, they, they and not all of them play the same defense. Some of them shift defenses. I mean, you'll see Tulsa, Tulsa coming uh, coming in here on Sunday, plays a, a, a kind of an amoeba defense with a with a kind of shape shifting man into zone D, which is really difficult to score against. So get
1: ready for that this Sunday. You uh, have had trouble. Remember, we were there last year. Remember, they had. You see, I've had trouble in the first half against yeah. that defense and had to make big adjustments in the second half. And I think they went inside more. Or, or, or spread it out and he got going in the second half and squeaked out a victory but that was a tough matchup with that defense last year with Frank Hayes and now you know that was with BJ Taco and company there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, UC, UCF uh won that game 64-62 in Orlando last year. It was uh, about last January. Uh we should actually can we should we talk about Memphis? Are we talk about uh, Tulsa a little bit here because Yeah, I wanted is,
0: to, I, I want to talk about that because they they just the magical goofus dust is just all over their uniforms right now. I mean they, wow. they 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 got the buzzer beater the other night. They're seven and one all alone in first in the conference, fifteen and six. Like like they have. They're well, I don't know where they put the rabbit's foot, but they are firmly. <laughs> but they they are. They're just having a magical year right now, aren't they?
2: Absolutely, and they just beat. Uh was it Wichita state on a buzzer beating three Yeah, by, by a kid, a great story uh, by a player for Tulsa, whose dad got to see him play for the first time in his life, that wow. game. And, and that's the first game his dad sees is his son hitting a game winning three at the buzzer. I mean, it was pretty awesome. And then he broke down at the post game presser. Um, but no, I mean, Tulsa, what's funny about Tulsa is they have, they've beaten Houston. They beat Wichita state. They've crushed Memphis. they, Basically broke Memphis in half. And if the season ended today, and obviously, well, obviously, you know, if the season ended, they would, they'd be the conference t- championship. You know, they they be the conference champion. But you can't assume they win the conference tournament. And let's say that doesn't happen. This team is really struggling right now to even make it the NCAA tournament. I know that sounds weird because of where they are in this conference, but they don't really have a lot of quality wins.
1: Yeah. they're just
2: they're just you know, and well. So, the problem
1: is they played a weak non-conference schedule. Their net uh, as of Wednesday night was sixty. Their net is sixty. That's not a good number to have. It's not the end-all, be-all. But their problem is you look at their non-conference. They lost at UT Arlington, for example. <laughs> uh, they you know they beat Austin P, whatever. They beat you know, the Southeast Louisiana's of the world. They beat Vanderbilt. Well, Vanderbilt's not very good. Uh, they played Arkansas Pine Bluff, which hurts your schedule strength. They lost to Arkansas State uh, as well at home. These are home losses they lost. They lost a triple overtime game. A triple overtime game to Colorado State at home. Um, you know, those things are hurting them. They have really have turned it around in conference play, but you're right. They may have to win the tournament still just to feel comfortable about getting in. And what's even wackier, Okay, you talked about the deal. This tells you all you need to know about this year in college basketball. In in Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology, he's got four teams from the American in with Tulsa, obviously as the projected automatic bid as a champion. And then you got Wichita state and you got Houston in, and then he's got Memphis as one of the last four teams in one of the teams. That's one of the first four out Cincinnati. Who somehow has crawled their way back into the mix, despite some of the most horrific losses you can think of in the non conference. So the American could end up with a being a four bid league, maybe even crazy go five if certain things break their way, which is pretty remarkable.
2: It would be crazy. Yeah, what's nuts about Cincinnati is you no know, you know, you can't draw a straight line from it, but really since that that like zany ending to the Colgate game where Jaron Cumberland threw up a half court shot in a game that he thought Cincinnati was, was you know, down by three or whatever, and they lose to Colgate at home. Since then, they've been pretty good. They've won the last four. So, yeah, he's worked their way back onto the bubble. It's been great. Uh, one more thing about Tulsa that I'll, I'll point out, heading into this game at UCF uh, on Sunday. And, again, they play uh, at home against Connecticut on Thursday. But Tulsa's won the last six games. Uh, and the, so, the, actually, they've won the last six. Here are their points allowed in those six games. 61 to Houston. Forty-nine East Carolina, fifty-four to Tulane, to Memphis because we all remember that. They give seventy-five to Connecticut in an overtime game, and then fifty-one to Wichita State. This game on Sunday is going to be ugly, so <laughs> ugly.
1: No, but you know what's not going to be. Great job selling it. <laughs> no, no, there's going to be something. That, 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 not everything's going to be ugly, Murph. Space jerseys, yeah. huh? That's huh? right. Space there we go. Jerseys. Difference maker. They knew it. They knew. They knew this game. They had.
2: They had to. They had to shine this game up. They put the space. Yes, the space jerseys are coming
0: out February 9th. They are uh, so clean, though, man. I, I love them. Are
1: you going, Jeff? You're the one that's like Mr. Like space guy. You're going, right?
0: I'm not going to be able to make it on Sunday. Uh, no, I can't. No. Boo. I know. I know. I am covered by in wait, shame.
1: the way, Tulsa, 48th in the NCAA and scoring points against. Uh, This is a good defense there He's got They're going to have to prove They can win on the road And and to maintain their spot though I mean it's going to be Wild finish there And it's going to be interesting They have struggled historically At UCF Uh, By the way Tulsa 25th in the country Field goal percentage against Giving up 38% So um, it's pretty kind of crazy there So I don't know guys You're right I mean Murph It's going to be We're probably expecting Two low scoring games What else is new you just yeah. hope UCF can make some shots, as you brilliantly broke down UCF's yeah. <laughs> what they need to do: make shots uh, and put the that. ball we found the in the under, basket. By the way, I
0: mean, uh, the, over, the over-under. i found the overrunner for the ECU game, and according to Odd Shark, it is one thirty-six and a half.
1: Oh. <laughs> I probably go under on that, but you know. Murphy. Um, might uh, I'll step aside.
0: UC, UCF, by the way, is a three and a half point favorite in this game.
2: That is amazing. That's basically saying that if this game was in Orlando, that UCF would have to be a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. Like, wow. I don't understand how, how that works. Yeah. I'm, I'm taking ECU with the points. I mean, yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, wow. I'm just saying, like, that's a lot. Don't, don't, a don't tell days.
0: don't tell Coach Dawkins. Oh, boy. I'm sure yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I would also, if UCF loses this game and, you know, goes back-to-back back this week, basically losing – at US seven at UCU, I know the fans have been asking this question for weeks now, but I think it'd be legitimate to ask Coach Dawkins before the Tulsa game is at this point in the season, which they would be then two and eight, and after losing to those subpar teams, do you look at even getting your freshmen more minutes uh, for you know at, at, at the expense of the seniors, the transfer guys who who are here for one year? But you really need to start looking toward next season and getting those guys more minutes in the games going forward. Because this season at two and eight, I mean, what can you do other than plan for next year?
0: Right. No. Um the other
1: hand, if we upset Tulsa, do we just wear the space jerseys the rest of the year? Oh, I wouldn't
0: rule it out. Uh-huh. You're definitely no, gonna—they're definitely gonna bust him out for the conference tournament. I would have to think, right? I'm
1: just saying. <laughs> look, I'm Murph. I'm yeah. not gonna be able to be there. I have softball commitments. But if we do upset Tulsa, that question has to be asked. Is yeah, we got to keep the space churches, right? At that point, you can't mess around with with that kind of karma.
2: With that, yeah, with that, with that yeah, winning can't. streak of one.
0: Right. Hey, look, if it, if it works, keep it, keep going. So, uh, just to recap, at ECU Thursday, seven p.m. on ESPN three. Sunday, Tulsa at home, oh, two I p.m.
1: Good gotta log
0: in. <clears throat> gotta log in for that one too. <laughs> gotta log in for Tulsa as well. ESPN three as well. Uh, uh, for that one, we we will bat- carry live blogs for both games.
1: Wow, two online games. Wow, that's wow. Who's calling? Let me see. I don't. Know. Do we want. Do we want to know who's calling the uh, ECU.
2: Calling it.
0: God bless him. I'll, uh, there.
2: I'll be uh, writing the recap after the ECU game for the site. Well, hopefully it's positive.
1: One. breaking news. We just had a Murph note there. Murph bombs recap, uh, or something to that extent. Uh, what? I what? I don't know. I don't know. I was just reading. I'm excited that you're writing a recap for us.
2: Oh, this thing is totally off the rails now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. We get a break. Well, we're gonna. Well, we're gonna. Yeah, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll talk uh, a little bit of some more uh, Olympic sports. By the way, we all hear from tennis. We'll hear from UCF golf uh, as they uh, exp- as they go through the early part of their seasons here in the spring, and uh, UCF tennis in the rankings as well. We'll talk about that. And a lot more. We return. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We're back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Uh, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here. We are recording this on a Wednesday, February 5th. Thursday, February 6th, gentlemen, here we go. UCF softball is in action. Let's go. Season gets underway at home. They have a murderer's row schedule. We're not going to break down the whole thing. Just suffice it to say, UCF is playing every day this weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, you can listen to at our... 6
1: o'clock Thursday night. Yep. yep. Be starting on
0: that one. Yep. Uh, you can listen to our special UCF softball preview show. Uh, interviews with Aaliyah White, senior star pitcher for UCF, as well as uh, head coach Cindy Ball-Malone. Me and uh, Eric breaking it all down for you. We go over the schedule and a lot more for this team uh, friend, it, it, I, as well I on got your feet, and So,
1: got an, You know, all, I've been a very good teammate. I've let you talk baseball all these previous episodes. <laughs> In fact, I, I just I had to let out a lot of softball content on that episode. Hour and a half, my friend. I have thrown yep. the gauntlet for next week when we do our baseball preview show. An yep. hour and a half, my friend. Next week,
0: it week it? we will have. Well, we'll we'll do ninety minutes of baseball next week, no doubt. If, if I do, if oh, we don't, I'm Sam saying, is going to get mad at me, and I don't want that to happen. I, as
2: the baseball aficionado on this podcast, we will not be doing 90 minutes of just baseball on this podcast. We will not. No. All right. I, all right. I, I forbid it.
0: Wow. Challenge accepted.
1: Um, <laughs> we did a 90-minute, brother. That's right.
0: We've
2: got
1: uh,
0: – uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, tennis here. Uh, we we'll talk about a little tennis and golf. First of all, the women's team, uh, they're off to uh, a 3-2 and two start, but they are uh, still in the rankings here. And they got a big win over number eighteen Texas A and M at home, five to two. Uh, was the uh, final in that one? Uh, Valeria Zaleva uh, won her singles match. Tatiana Makarova won her singles match. Uh, Evgenia Levashova won her singles match. And UCF, uh, who's ranked number fifteen in the country, took down uh, took down Texas A and M five to uh, two. Brian Kaniko. Uh, the head coach of UCF women's tennis uh, was on hand to talk about the postgame match. Here is uh, uh, so here is some sound from uh, Coach Kaneko, courtesy of UCF Athletics, following their defeat of the Aggies.
2: Thought we started out really, really well in doubles. Uh, you know, all courts did did uh, a pretty good job to set the tone. And uh, you know, Texas A M came back. You know, they they fought hard. Uh, they made it. They made it really tough. Um, obviously, but. Uh, you know, I think we were up 2 1 in the match, and uh, G was, you know, what, down eight or 10 match points, whatever it was. Um, and for her to just stay alive and win that second set after being down 5 1 took a lot of pressure off the the rest of the, 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 the team who was on the court. So that was huge for us, and, uh, you know, couldn't be happier for a Dummy. Uh, she's, you know, she's. Uh, been a big part of this team, and for her to get a, a good win against a great player, for them that was that was huge for her and her confidence, and uh, so very happy all in all.
0: All right, head coach Brian Kaneko of UCF Women's Tennis, they got uh, they have what one two three four in a row at home coming up, including Valentine's Day. Their next match Friday. They have twelve days off. Friday noon against TCU. Uh, and they also play uh, Santa Barbara in a, in a match that's actually split. The doubles will take place in that ma- for that match on Valentine's Day, and then they play the singles on Sunday. I've never seen that before. I wonder why they're doing that. Um, on Friday, Febu- or excuse me, Sunday, February 16th. Also, Nebraska is coming in on February 16th, and Ole Miss on uh, Friday, February 21st. Good start for UCF women's tennis eric lopez
1: that's right it is uh and by the way i gotta give you credit last week you talked you threw out some dates of us possibly going out there to the usda center uh one date that jumps out and it's a little ways away but march 15th texas comes to town they're ranked seventh in the country
0: that's Seven, gonna be a big one could
1: have a top 15 matchup could be I i wouldn't be surprised if that ends up being on a tennis channel uh televised there so that might be one that you and I Jeffrey have to go check out in person unfortunately Murph will not be with us because he'll be at that point he'll be at UCF Yale that big conclusion of the UCF Yale baseball series uh, but Murph the good news is Yale women's tennis plays at UCF the next day on Monday so you can have four straight days of UCF Yale sports
0: Wow! I mean, what else do you want in life I mean what, you know, what, what else do you uh, alright so uh, by the way um, college match day—that big tennis channel event that they have. Yeah. Um, UCF not playing in any of the matches. They got Florida, Florida yeah. State. Uh, they're gonna have USC, Notre Dame, um, and then Florida State, Ohio State on the tennis channel on February fifteenth and March first, respectively. No UCF on college match days. No
1: things. respect. What the
0: bummer. No, that's big nice. bummer. Tennis Ooh. channel. Get it together. I'll tell you what, man. Between that's, why, ESPN, that's
1: why I never. I, that's why I don't I watch ESPN's tennis coverage over the tennis channels.
0: Coverage. For that
1: reason, give right? <laughs> so, me Fowler. Maybe. Uh,
0: men's tennis. Uh, men's they are tennis.
1: F- <laughs> twenty-five, baby.
0: Yeah, three and three. They uh they took it to Virginia, uh at in Charlottesville, six to one. Um, the Gabriel de Camps, uh, what, number twenty-two in the country, won his singles along with uh Juan Pablo Mazzucchi. Uh, over number one fifteen, Ryan gets of Virginia as well. Uh, UCF won five of the six singles matches, and obviously two of the three doubles. Uh, and UCF uh, gets the victory uh, over UVA in Charlottesville, six to one. They play another team. They're at Illinois in Champaign on Sunday, uh, and Illinois is also receiving votes, just like uh, Virginia. So three and three for
1: he, he, John Roddick, man. He, t- he... You talk about we, you know, we spent that softball podcast talking about the softball schedule and the. the, I mean, John Roddick. Let's give
0: John Roddick is John Roddick when it comes to scheduling. He's the honey badger, man. He just don't care. Right,
1: it's just unbelievable the tough schedule they've got his team. That's why they got respect. They're getting in the top twenty-five.
0: Yeah, so that's a a lot of Big Ten, a lot of ACC, some Pac twelve in there. I mean, it's murder is no man.
1: I know we've said this in previous podcasts, but again, I, it's worth mentioning. we got two tennis programs in the top 25 right now.
0: Danny White I, tweeted I, it out, too, today. He was—he uh, said, should, yes, I'm yelling.
1: <laughs> and he should. Because, Jeffrey, nobody would have ever imagined this. Nobody. This right. is I, – I know people – you know, tennis is college. Tennis is not a big popular sport, so I get all that. But of all the Danny White accomplishments, this is at the top. The turnaround of this tennis program's – is remarkable. I've never seen anything like
0: it. Yeah. And it's tremendous credit to him because, it, it, you know, and, and to John Roddick and Brian Canico, they've done an amazing job yeah. pulling that all together. And, uh, and man, they deserve it. Um, women's golf, uh, their, uh, their spring season is underway. They hosted the UCF Challenge uh, at Eagle Creek Golf Club. Uh, locally. Pretty good slate of uh, schools coming in. They had Illinois in there, North Carolina State, Penn State, Miami, Purdue, Oklahoma State coming down, ECU, uh, ECU as well, UNC Wilmington. The uh, leaderboard looked like this. UCF finished in tied for sixth with Iowa State. Kent State was actually the winner. UCF finished at minus two uh, as a team. Kent State was uh, minus 21. Uh, among the teams that UCF beat out, uh, Illinois, who's 14th in the country, um, team or excuse me, the uh, player uh, leaderboard um, highest uh, UCF player was Alyssa Lamoureux, who finished uh, in 20th place at 2 under par for the tournament. Uh, Renata Grimstad of Miami won with a 14 under par. Man, that's amazing um, uh, for uh, UCF. Uh, Tunrata Pidden uh, she finished in, uh, in, in uh, tie for 21st, uh, as well as uh, Anna-Laura Collado was uh, uh, tied for 28th, and, and Elizabeth Moon tied for 33rd. So uh, so good start for UCF Women's Golf, and uh, we hear from, uh, again, uh, they, they, well, let's see, their next tournament coming up is the uh, Moon Golf Invitational uh, at Duran Golf Club in Melbourne, so a local tournament starting February uh, 17th for uh, UCF women's uh, golf. Let's hear from uh, Emily Marin on uh, UCF's initial uh, initial tournament of the season.
3: It's a really special week in golf. We only get to be at home
0: one time the whole year, and you know having that feeling of just being on your home course and having your friends and family out here and beautiful weather. It's a great start to the spring season. Emily Marin once again as her uh, team is uh, on track to uh, challenge once again for another, hopefully another American Athletic Conference uh, championship later on in the year, hoping to finish, uh, finish in good shape. Here they have one, two, three, only four tournaments until the conference championship, uh, which is in April. So uh, they play one tournament this this tournament in February, two day tournament. They play. Two tournaments in March, one tournament in April, and then it's off and running to the American, which is which they will host at Palm Coast. So, um, not a lot of opportunities, but hey, got to make it happen. So, um, their counterparts on the men's golf side, they have yet to start their season, uh, but they will uh, actually in ten days at the Gator Invitational, and uh, again, courtesy of uh, UCF Athletics, they posted a uh, preview from. Uh, uh, from head coach uh, Bryce Waller and uh, here's what uh, coach Waller had to say about his team coming in uh, who oh, they won their Tavis they won the Tavistock Collegiate Invitational in the in the fall which is a big win for them uh, as well as the Hartford Hawks Invitational so two wins in the fall what's in store for the spring for head coach Bryce Waller <laughs> I
3: think looking at our team, we're, we're fairly young, and I think that showed kind of in the fall. We had some incredible performances individually as a team. We had to try and play without one of our better players, as he represented China. Uh, we played extremely well at Isleworth and won at home, and that's, that's record-setting for our program. I think that just shows our youth. Uh, we have some great personalities. We've got some people working
0: really hard, but I, I think now we've really got to get to work. All right, and our thanks to UCF Athletics for, uh, for, for gathering that. And... Um... Should be another good year for golf. You know, it's one of those things where it just it, it, it's hard to say, like, you know, what expectations are, <laughs> obviously, um, because it's golf. It's so unpredictable. But, you know, I mean, it, it, they should contend once again. I mean, why, why wouldn't they in this case? It's uh, And especially on the men's side, you win, you win Tavistock. That's huge. I mean, that, that's and it should be a big uh, springboard for them heading into the uh, heading into the spring. No, Eric?
1: Great, yeah, it should be a good springboard and uh, after another successful year, very quietly. Our golf programs are always in the mix, and I expect the men's team who uh, missed the tournament last year, I think they'll bounce back and get back into the mix, and then the women's obviously after the great year last year. So it's pretty remarkable, you know, the golf programs uh, obviously have been very solid, always in the mix. Makes sense with Orlando being a big golf uh, city, so uh, we'll just see how they uh, kind of play it out here with uh, the rest of the way.
0: Same thing with tennis too. I always felt like you know, there's two. If there's two programs that that UCF should be really good at year in year out, it's golf and tennis. And I think we're seeing that come together real quick. Um, all right, let's wrap this baby up. Uh, Murph, we got baseball coming up. We're going to do our baseball preview next week. Uh, what do you have uh, coming up in addition to anything in addition to the basketball that you'll be doing?
2: Well, we do have lots of basketball. Both uh, tomorrow and I, I'll be watching and tweeting and writing. And then Sunday against Tulsa, I'll be watching and, and tweeting and, and writing. So, yeah, a lot of that. Uh, but you know what Sunday also is, Jeffrey? Sunday is the Oscars. And uh, I, I I like film. I like lots of film. I, I try to see about 75 to 100 films a year. And so this I is don't a- know how you do it. How
0: do you have time to do that? I never watch movies. I don't understand it. I feel bad for you?
2: I don't know. Uh, are, are, are the Oscars completely overrated? Absolutely. Uh, do they mean anything in the long run? I mean, not to us. They might to the production companies. But really, they, they are not a great gauge of the best movies of the year. They're, it's kind of a popularity contest. We all get it. However, that will not stop me from being uh, having a, a huge outrage complex come Sunday night when I watch it. And I will just say quickly, uh, as far as picks, I'll have all my picks. I, will, I swear to God I'm going to do this. I'll have all my picks written on Twitter uh, Sunday before the game against Tulsa because this is this is like fun to me. Uh, I would obviously take uh, Joaquin Phoenix for Best Actor. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Best Actress, I, I, I think it's it's been it's been Renee Zellweger since September in Judy. There's no argument about that either. I, although I will say that Elizabeth Moss, Elizabeth Moss in her smell, which is a movie that no one has seen, is outstanding. You should definitely see that. And Best Picture. I know 1917 has all the money on it, but for me, the writing is really super thin. The character motivations at times don't make sense. I would like to see Parasite win it, which is uh, at equal points comedic, clever, thrilling, nerve-wracking, and horrifying while all being shot beautifully. Um, I think that's the best film of the nominees. Uh, I wouldn't say it's my favorite film of the year, but we're just judging on the nominations. That should win
0: we're not expecting i mean this year is years, there's not a lot of drama right i mean it's, it's really not i know a lot you of drama. i know you like parasite a lot but like 1917 is supposed to is supposed to run away with it right i mean just because of its sheer the the ambition of how they shot that movie i think right
2: well again no one is doubting it's it's cinematography and the look of that film i mean obviously when you've got Roger deakins being plugged in the trailer for the film how often do you see a cinematographer being advertised in the in the in the trailer like that doesn't happen they wanted it to happen because they knew it was a big deal and they wanted to win oscar he will win the oscar for cinematography there's no doubt about that however i if we're, if we're judging it as a full movie i have issues with it much more so than i have with parasite or even or even other films on that list i like i like little women more um i mean but th- but again we're getting too far down the rabbit hole i'll, I'll write about all this on Twitter this weekend. I'm so excited. Yes, I mean, I know it's it's a complete popularity contest. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. This is the culmination of uh, a 12 months worth of work for me. I just went and saw every film nominated in each of the three short categories, documentary short, animated short, live action short. Uh, I have currently seen all but two films that are involved in the top eight categories, which are both acting categories for men, both acting categories for women, best picture, Best director, best cinematography, uh, and uh, oh, and both best screenplay uh, categories. So all all nine of those, I've seen all the two films that are contained in those. Uh, this is a big deal. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I love this, and uh, I am ready to be, uh, like, just like irrationally upset Sunday night.
0: <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm I'm almost through with the first part of my New Year's resolution of watching more movies, like the big movies that I haven't seen yet, and. <laughs>
1: Wait, Murph. I thought you were gonna write like a UCF movie, like uh, this weekend at some point because of the Oscars.
0: Oh, I forgot about that. Well, <laughs> we went. Well, we okay. didn't get it. I got no submissions for a cast for the for the for the 2017 pick that we were gonna that we were gonna do. So, listen, you people listening to this podcast, you should be ashamed of yourselves for no, not have, being involved. The
2: don't drag. Don't drag the list.
0: What are you doing, Jeff? Got don't nothing. drag the list. Got absolutely nothing. No, listen. It's- we put the call out there. We know you people listen. We know it's interesting. Come on, give us give us your ideas on it. By the I way, think
1: they just don't want to. Differ. I think they're more curious what Murph's going to like put in the cast. Nah. Which I'm not uh,
2: I'm not worried about. I'm not worried about that. That's evergreen content, Grant. I did forget about that. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> there's no reason why we can't come back to that next year or for, <laughs> you know, for any other UCF-related. Uh, you know, uh, like the like you know Duke, like you said, like the Duke basketball game. We could do that too. So, uh wait, anyway. let
1: you, so let me ask you like Merck, so what let me what if this and it's not gonna happen, but it would have been interesting if it would have happened. What if yes. you're watching the Academy Awards and a, and the Mookie Betts type trade happens during the Academy Awards? Oh so for heaven's sake.
2: Oh my god.
1: You, <laughs> like what would you have done?
2: If they announced like Joker winning best picture and Mookie Betts got traded to the Dodgers, my mind like like blood is <laughs> trickling out of my eyes. Just just I, I <laughs> Massive aneurysms happening internally. You have to send somebody uh, in to yeah. check on you. <laughs> I, I will say if there's one film that – I mean people will probably hate this because Joker is probably, probably the film that people have seen the most out of the nominees. But as much as I like Joker, that's probably the
0: least deserving Best Picture nominee. Great performance though.
2: Oh, God. I mean absolutely fantastic performance. Yeah. Not great directing and pretty awful writing. I almost had a curse word there. Uh, but, uh, but, look, but look uh, we're, I'm, gauging that, I'm gauging that in terms of comparing it to the other films. If you go back, I wrote about Joker in, like, a five-tweet thread back in October. I liked the film, uh, but I think as time has gone on and I've watched it again this week, yeah, I watched it again. Uh, and then watching all the other films that are nominated, uh, it, it clearly probably doesn't deserve to be a Best Picture nominee. There are a ton of films. There are a ton of films that did not get nominated that should have gotten more love. The number one film on my list for that, as far as films that got overlooked, is is by far The Lighthouse, which is a complete acid trip of a film that's not for everybody. But the fact that Willem Dafoe or Robert Pattinson do not get nominated is a sham. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous. But anyway, if you have like two and a half hours and are willing to lose your mind, go watch The Lighthouse.
0: Uh, for more uh, movie hot takes, follow Spokes underscore right, so, Murphy right, Murph, on Twitter, just, particularly on Oscar night.
1: Can you yeah. at least do this request? Can I do this request then? Since you're going to write the recap of the UCF-ECU basketball game for us on the banner, right? Can you do it like a movie critic? Can we at least do an Oscars theme? Depends on
0: depends on reason? how horrible the shooting is, like we were talking about in the last. That's
1: second. What i <laughs> right? Murphy? can critique it like you know, like a movie, kind of to get in the spirit of the Oscars. And I don't think Jeff would have a problem if. Below the article, you just write down the pick so we can have it on record. Uh,
2: so, you want me to do like best supporting actor? Uh, you know, like, what are the other ca- like, I, like? I'm you open to ca-
0: anything. I'm open to anything. A- anything that's right, not the typical, you know.
1: Oh my God. You can do <laughs> to, right any atypical
0: you can do gamer, a- I'm all for. I'm all for it. <sighs> I think,
2: yeah. Or you uh, could be Cisco
1: yeah. and Ebert. I don't know who the new, who's the Cisco and Ebert of today's era now? I don't, do we have a Cisco and Ebert? I don't know.
2: No, they're they're both gone. Uh, I mean, I mean, the internet. Really, it's the internet.
0: Just
1: it's Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> rotten yeah, tomatoes. that's my request. Write the UCF ECU recap, like if it was a of, of, of a movie, grab with the Oscars theme to it. You could be either your critique movie critiquing the game as a recap, <laughs> or uh, you can do categories like you just said. It's it's your it's your it's your recap. You do what you like to do. We'll figure I, it out.
2: I will try this. I I, I will admit the the uh, the. Uh, the thought and the suggestion have got me sweating, but it's probably because I'm sitting with a sweater on in a 75-degree apartment for I no mean, reason. Should we
1: – so I know we'll get into this next week with baseball. UCF's got Andy Barkett. Should we thank him? Like, you know, we, we – we, 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 you know, you wrote the story of Andy Barkett coming to UCF. You used a photo of him with Mookie Betts, and now Mookie Betts is gone from Boston. So we give him thank you for that or like
2: – what? Know, what wait, what are you insinuating thank you? Thank you to for you guys. leaving
1: Boston, as we're all anti-Red Sox fans. Like, no. Okay,
0: no. No. Oh, boy. There goes half the audience. Um, so, like we said, uh, Sunday night for Oscar Takes, spokes underscore Murphy. I'm going to be following intently. Um, Eric, what do you got coming up?
1: <laughs> uh, I will be on the air for the duration of this last week. Unless this severe weather that all these weather guys are freaking out about on Thursday night hits. Yeah, us. man,
0: this is this thing is coming, man. This we got a we got a big front coming our way.
1: Cold front, look at 10% man. Like a ten percent chance we yeah. get like win.
0: See look, well, no, listen, like we well well, I got my I, I got my uh my guy Eric Burris from Wesh on a, uh I, I rang the bell on him for notifications because um he uh he's got it he's got it pretty down. We we're probably going to see some uh, some nasty wind on Thursday night.
1: What's so. find that? What is that?
0: Uh you're talking about well severe wind. You know, you're talking about some oh. gusts that might be nasty north of here. They're thinking there there's a tornado watches that are in effect. I mean, it, it could be what? Yeah. Yeah, so I it's not guaranteed that a tornado will happen obviously, but
1: Give it a five percent chance of happening.
0: Uh well, for now, but let's see let's see how the forecast rolls through tomorrow yeah, night. You know, know.
1: They're always dead on.
0: Like, hey, listen. Don't, listen. Don't, don't, Eric, don't get, listen, don't don't go there with us, Eric. We will Eric, flame you really hard on that.
2: We already did this during the hurricane season. Don't yes. you dare.
0: Don't the fame meteorologist. Don't be that guy.
1: Point is I'm telling the audience, do not let the weather people freak you out. Go out to softball this weekend. We got UCF hosting the tournament. That's my whole point. Go out. We're going to have good weather. We're going to get these games in. If for some reason you can't make it, you can tune in to the Twitch, uh, UCF underscore softball, all the information. I will be on the air. At least, Murphy, you can pop in for a couple of innings before the basketball game on Thursday and beyond. So I'll be on the, the softball all weekend long at the complex. Look forward to seeing everybody there. I think our friend Sam Munger even said he might come out. So we want the more the merrier. Don't listen to these weather people. That bad weather is going to be while we're sleeping anyway. So Well, yes!
0: th- th- Thursday night into Thursday night into Friday. You're talking like 10 p.m. Thursday night into like the early, early, early morning on uh, on sleeping. Friday. So we'll see. You're
1: sleeping. Just get out. Of, as long as it gets out of there by 9 a.m., we can play ball. That's all, right. all I'm talking about. We, right? We're playing mm-hmm. ball. Make sure you're listening to our previous episode. We went in depth on the softball podcast, uh, season preview with Coach Bear, uh, Coach Ball Malone, and uh, Aaliyah White. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to getting the softball season going. That's where I'm going to be. That's where I'm doing all weekend, regardless of what these muriologists tell me what to do.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, all
1: right. God, uh, this, is,
2: this is really close to I don't trust scientists. Right. <laughs> yes.
0: Science. <laughs> cares about that? Anyway, alright, let's uh let's wrap this puppy up. Don't forget to follow us at UCF underscore banner at on Twitter, Facebook.com slash black and gold banner at follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elofile Brian at spokes underscore Murphy. You can check out our Twitter list where we have all of us involved uh as we roll through the uh spring. We'll probably have some football stuff coming up as well with um with the draft coming up. We got a couple guys in the draft combine, in particular Novell Clark. Uh, Gabriel, Gabriel Davis, I'm surprised we have not seen Adrian Killens get an invite to the uh, to the Combine. Who knows, maybe he will, but uh, we're going to be preparing for that as well for football. Looking back at recruiting, a whole bunch of stuff that you need to do, and obviously our softball preview like Eric mentioned, and we'll have the baseball preview up next week. For Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Enjoy the weekend. We'll catch
3: you next week.